Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I was much more akin to my grandfather, my mother's father, because he, being part Cherokee, was the one that would take me on walks a lot and say, what do you see in this heap of dirt? And I'd say, well, a heap of dirt, Papa. And he'd say, you are not my granddaughter. What do you see? So he was the one that began to really um, kind of remind me of the old ways, whether you talk about it in Celtic mythology or Egyptian mythology or Native American, the belief that it's the balance of male and female energy that they are equal, that um, the word does not just pass through the patriarchy. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Frog on My Toe, a B-side from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. Papa, I know there's a frog on my toe. Maybe I'll call him Jeff. Hi, David. Hello, Eve. How are you? I'm amazing. Really? guarded in <laughs> terms of how I want to answer this question. Why? I don't know. How are you doing on this retreat? Uh, this retreat is exactly what I need in my life right now, and maybe at all times. There's nothing I need more right now than to be spending time with you. Oh. Doing what we do, talking about Tori. We had like a little bit of a YKTR Party. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a dance party, but just yeah. a party, right? It was a little we, dance we put party. the vinyl on. It sounded great. I don't think I've ever actually heard it on vinyl. Really? No, I don't think so. I call it a dance party because I literally spun in circles to faith until I got I sick think, and had I to think sit I think I might have too. I was doing something with my arms. I don't know what it was. It no, was one, great. no one should need to see that. We did text um, our sisters, all of them, Shaggy, <laughs> Peter, none of them Paul responded. Roy. It's fine. We said, we're having a YKTR dance party at my house right now. Come over. And literally still none of them have texted us. I guess they were all busy. For me, it transitioned into a Dirty Dancing party yeah, of some weird. kind. I put on Eve's copy of the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. On which, vinyl. Oh my God. That my sister so gave me good yeah you know what i used to do a lot entertain but i would also have seasonal parties like i would have a kickoff to summer party themed around um don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and then i would have an end of summer party themed to dirty dancing and it's been a long time since i've done that but i think i want to resurrect that tradition what do, do you think it. Will you come? all right heck yeah I'll let's go. do it together um no you, let's you handle it no, shut up i got a lot going on fine you're right you're you're too busy you gotta but plan it maybe i'll come. show up all right fine every once in a while you just want to show up to something and mm-hmm. have it done i always show up hold though. the table i always show up mm-hmm. i'm a joiner i'm an attender that's for sure are you um we have a little bit of business that we have to take care of okay on our last episode, Amazing Grace Till the Chicken, we didn't talk about everything that Shay uncovered 
Can you believe that we didn't? Mm-mm. Our the, very own Nancy Drew. There was so much that she uncovered, and still there was more that we didn't talk about. So I want to read a quote. This is from Take to the Sky fanzine, issue number nine. Oh my God, I knew it was going to be number nine. Are you ready for this, David? Amazing Grace was recorded at Tori's house in Ireland during a practically loose and boozy jam session. I wonder if they mean particularly loose. Yeah. But it says here practically. During a particularly loose and boozy jam session, Mm. John Witherspoon videotaped the event. Yet as the evening wore on, the alcohol took hold and the camcorder fell into unscrupulous hands. The said tape now contains footage of Mr. Spoon attempting to play the piano whilst totally naked. A frightening thought. Yet we hear that bootleg copies are now in circulation. Oh. Gotta get our hands on Those one. Those have never been circulated. <laughs> Still want to get my hands on one. Have you ever attempted to play any instrument, nude, piano, or otherwise? Yes, yeah, I have. Really? Yeah. Do you tell? Well, I used to play trombone. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played any instrument naked. No. What about you? Well, no. I wouldn't be opposed. I prefer the attention to be on my music. So <laughs> not on my hot, hot <laughs> not body. The, not the image. Right. Music is always intertwined with sexuality, David. Mm-hmm. We know that. I don't know the difference. Can we talk about this, though? They would have us believe that this recording of Amazing Grace Till the Chicken was pulled from a videotape. You know what? That idea has been presented to us on numerous occasions, mm-hmm. and we are not buying it. I am not buying it. No. I think the truth of the matter is, if I were to have to guess what the truth of the matter is, I would say that, yes, they did have a particularly boozy jam session. Yes, John probably got naked and played the piano. Yes, there's a videotape of it. And yes, so the chicken was born from that session. But I think... When Tori says on the recording, I want to do another one first, I feel like she's giving him like a visual cue of what she wants to do. Mm. Like, you know, that one that we did that night, Till the Chicken. I don't think it's the first time they've done it. That's just my opinion. It sounds so clear. It doesn't sound like it's pulled from a videotape. Agreed. The marker for me is if it were pulled from a videotape, I feel like the bass, the piano would be at the same level, at least throughout. But they're, they're, it's mixed. It feels mixed. I agree. I mean, maybe there was videotaping happening at the same time, but all of those instruments were mic'd up mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Maybe yeah. maybe they were videotaping at it also. At the same time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I agree. Maybe that's, uh, maybe it was the same session, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they do sound a little drunk. How's Mm -hmm. your church? But I still want to know, and I've asked you this before, what were they doing? Because... Drinking. We know, (laughs) we know how Tori records. She laid down the piano and vocal, and then the other musicians came in and recorded around it. And I am still a little surprised that there were any occasions when they were both playing together with fully mic'd up instruments. Right. Well, here, let's take a closer look at what it says in Take to the Sky fanzine. Amazing Grace was recorded at Tori's house in Ireland during a particularly loose and boozy jam session. John Witherspoon videotaped the event. So it doesn't, it doesn't say it was pulled from the videotape. So a closer reading indicates that maybe we were getting in an uproar about nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would never. We, I wouldn't. I don't. That was me getting in an uproar about nothing. I know. I liked it. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're saying, but you're way off base. There's also another clip that Shay included in her document that for whatever reason, we I guess we were drunk. This retreat has taken us through many bottles of alcohol. <laughs> but for some reason, we didn't include that clip in the episode, but... We'll play it later. We fo- it, she talks about her grandfather, and I think it's really appropriate also to frog on my toes. Mm. And we'll play that in our quote section. When was the first time you heard frog on my toe? That is a good question. You know, I was thinking about this earlier, and back in the day, 
there was obviously no streaming. There were no clips. So you would just get a CD and whatever was on it was on it. And I remember getting the track listing for this and thinking like, Frog on my toe, Amazing Grace. Like, are these real songs? And Amazing it wasn't, Grace. It wasn't really substantiated. And like f- from whatever imported, you know, music retailer I was buying things from back then, I was like, I'll, I guess I'll take their word for it. And when <laughs> it comes in the mail, I'll pop it in. And that was kind of exciting. And mm. I missed that experience. You know, when those Tallulah singles came, it was like, all right. What what you got for us? I, how about you? I honestly cannot recall the first time I heard Frog on My Toe, like the listening to it. I've never really necessarily connected with this song. Um, so I'm really excited to explore. Those are my favorite episodes to do or the ones that I never necessarily had a personal connection to. But when I read the title, I do remember Frog on My Toe linking that somehow to Cloud on My Tongue and Tear in My Hand. I'm like, oh... Another something on her something. Yeah. All right. Is this the time to bring up what I was pitching to you earlier? Yeah, bring it up. All right. That's a great idea, guys. I have an idea for another print that um, perhaps one Michael Morrison or whoever might be willing to design for us. But picture it. A print of, let's compare it to Operation, like an outline of the human body with labels of each malady you might be experiencing. Mm -hmm. But everything, every reference to the human body that Tori has in her songs, whether it be a frog on your toe... Or a cloud on your tongue. Tear in your um, hand. Fire on the side. Tear in my head. I love fire on the side. Yeah. Like, it's all red like on that side. castle burning in your heart. Just Ooh. like a little... I love that. Oh, I don't that's know. That's great. That's what I want. Great. So, I love it. Yeah. Get to it, people. We can do it. <laughs> we can put the list together for you if you want. And we All you have to do is execute. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe we should guard our ideas. Eh. This retreat has done nothing if not taught us to throw caution to the wind. <laughs> I need that lesson. You do need that lesson. I know. I think we all need that lesson mm-hmm. a little bit. It's also been, I mean, we should talk about this. It's been a really sad few weeks in the Tory verse. We have to talk about it because it's our show and this is what we talk about. We talk about Tori and her music and her life. Of course, our last episode of Drive All Night was a tribute to Nancy Shanks because she passed away from complications due to ALS. And we were so lucky to have her on our show to talk about her life and her experience. And we were so grateful to have a chance to chat with her. Since we posted that, of course, Tori's mother has also passed away. And that's also devastating. And we send our love and our condolences out into the atmosphere trying to get to Tori that love. Yeah, you know, you and I were fortunate enough to speak with Nancy and she was so generous with us and appeared on the show and we had a lovely conversation with her and I'm so grateful that that happened. Tori has not said anything. Tori's camp, so to speak, has not said anything about the passing of her mother, but it's gotten to the point where everyone is aware that that has happened. So we can't really ignore that fact, but I've been a little conflicted about it. And I think you have too, in terms of determining when it was appropriate for us to address it or say anything. I think this particular song has come up in the rotation at the perfect time as they so often do. It's true, it's true. For us to just in general talk about people who are important, relationships that are important, parental figures who are important to us, who have influenced us in any way, who maybe are not with With us us anymore. anymore. Yeah. And I think that's all we really need to say. I agree. So we move on. We send all our love, of course. She's always been there for us. Always. And so we send love back to her. 
So let's get to Fraga, my toe, yeah? Okay. Okay. Let's start with our Patreon supporters. You want to do that? Mm-hmm. All right, David, I'm going to throw them fast and furious at you. Can you handle this? Yeah, can I handle this? <laughs> Hello to our new Patreon supporters, Jonathan Swales. Pass. You can't pass on the what first one. I can. Swales. You always fail like Swales. All right, we'll take that. All right. Handsome Adam Singletary. Hi, Adam. Oh. Adam, kiss my Eve. Amy Blickhan. Amy Blickhan? <laughs> Chris. Just Chris. Just like Cher. And Jason Delaney Drawhorn. He's handsome, too. Everybody's mm. handsome. Everybody's handsome and gorgeous. Oh my God, these people. This is a world we live in where everyone's handsome and gorgeous. Uh. Welcome to the family. Thank you so much for your support. And to everyone else, thank you for your continued support and your listenage. And your if you want to write us a review on iTunes, that would be helpful as well. Anyhow, let's get to it, yeah? Frog right. on my toe? Yep. Let's do it. We'll be right back. This is a cover by Annalisa Gravel, and you can find that on our show notes page, songsoftoryamus.com. so much you gotta you gotta my papa used to say my grandfather that you smell from your stomach you know you're walking in the woods and you know where the wolf is you just have to know from here and that's what I what I think listening to music is it goes beyond does this logically make sense it's how does it make me feel Frog on My Toe appears on Tallulah Part 2, mm-hmm. released March of 1996 in the UK, and it appears on Tallulah the Maxi single, which was released in May of 1996 in the US. Shouldn't every single be Maxi, though? I agree. I mean, why would you bother to release a single that wasn't? Why would you bother with a mini single? <laughs> it was also released on the US promo CD single, the radio version and retail version, also in May of 1996, the Tallulah. 
And Frog on My Toe also appeared on a piano in 2006, 10 years later. How about Boys for Pele reissue? 10 years after that? Hey. Hey. <laughs> Every 10 years, Frog on My Toe pops yeah. up. It also appears on Legs and Boots, the Kansas show from November 9th, 2007. Mm. Mm. Kansas, eh? That's what we know. And oddly enough, I feel like we get a slightly different version each time. Every time the song is put on something, right? Let's get into that. What the differences are in, All right. in the versions. Mm-hmm. You want to start there? I do. I think it's primarily in the outro, the spoken word outro, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, so many of these Boys for Pele silly songs, so to speak, or B-sides, we get a little ambiance from the recording where she's kind of just talking after the... The song finishes and she says i think that's all in one of them mm-hmm. in one of the versions right and then we get a little bit a little bit more where she says that's for that was for papa or something very very sweet right mm-hmm. yeah so these reconditionings always have like a little something mm-hmm. extra yeah which we kind of knew this to be true but it's kind of confirmed that the tape was always running and that i'll bet at the end of any song from Boys for Pele. She says something or does something and I wish we could get our hands on those, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that would be amazing. How could we get our hands on those? I don't know. So as we get into the quotes, let's start by talking about the quote that we played at the top of the show. That was from The Big Question, uh, which was a UK interview show uh, that they did on October 27th, 1996. And she talked a little bit about how her grandfather would take her to look at a pile of dirt and say, what is that? And she would say, that's dirt. No, it's not. Look deeper. What do you think about that quote? It's so clear to me what a profound influence on Tori as a woman, I guess, but also as an, specifically an artist her grandfather was. And like, I guess it's easy to kind of chuckle at a quote like that, but I think he really was teaching her how to be an artist. Like, look at this. What does that mean or say to you? Okay, pile of dirt. No, look closer. And I think that's what an artist does, mm-hmm. really. And that specific example might seem kind of silly, but it's not. Do you think really. he was teaching her to be an artist or to listen to the land? Both. And to listen to everything, people. Do you think he was actively teaching her to be an artist, though, or that just happened because she was able to hear things differently? He was a musician as well, right? He sang in perfect pitch. I can't speak to that. I don't know exactly what his intentions were, but I, again, cobbling together what she has shared with us, I think he knew that she had a gift of some kind Mm. and he was probably wanting to cultivate that. And that, you know, as a... I think he was gifting her with the ability to tell a story first and foremost. And I think the first thing that one needs to be armed with to do that effectively is, I mean, you can tell a story, but before you can do that, you need to listen and kind of collect your own stories or other people's stories. And I think she has kept that with her for sure. Right. Yeah. That's great, David. This is a quote. This is the quote we were talking about earlier. This was supposed to be in our Amazing Grace episode, but I think it fits perfectly here. Let's play it. That takes me way back to um, the front porch in North Carolina where my Cherokee grandfather had perfect pitch and would sing this and um, he would smoke his pipe and no matter what 
was happening around you or in the world when he would sing everything was going to be okay in that moment it's a religious song you come from a very religious family what does religion mean in your or for your music right now well i think that that i yes i did come from a very religious family but i also came from a spiritual family as well and sometimes they're not the same people i think everybody thinks that they might have a, a spirituality that is um, compassionate, but sometimes the missionary zeal that would be with some of the family members would be about um, converting you or you or me into what they believed was the way, the way to believe, instead of having respect for your beliefs. That was from the Soundcheck interview uh, in Essen in 2011. Perfect pitch. What that mm. must be like. Mm. I don't know. I would love to hear more about the spiritual journey, so to speak, of Tori's mom at some point. I don't know if we'll ever um, know more than we already do about that. But it's so interesting to me that Tori's grandfather, this is Mary's, Tori's mom's father, right? Mm -hmm. That his belief system is so radically different i would think from what we know of tori's parents mm -hmm. and her mother was a woman of faith for sure and by that i mean the christian faith and it doesn't seem like her grandfather shared that necessarily so i'm just wondering kind of where the branch in the road was but she's always talked about mary being spiritual too mm -hmm. not just of the yeah christian i think faith. she held both yeah but i would love to know where Christianity sort of came into the picture for her. Well, when young Mary fell in love with hot young Edison. You think that's what it was? Must be, I, right? I, no, I refuse to believe that was her first exposure. Oh, maybe not her first exposure, it. but maybe because he was, you know, he's a preacher and his mother was a preacher and his father was a preacher. So he came from that really strong Christian mm -hmm. background. Maybe. I don't know why this is important, but I have to believe that she had been on her own i don't know she'd been seeking something on her own and come to her own conclusions arrived at a new belief system that wasn't necessarily linked to tori's father like she wasn't taking on the beliefs of her husband right. necessarily it's an interesting mix whatever it is because you couldn't i i mean you could maybe but there's it's, i was gonna say you couldn't get further away from christianity than native american spirituality mm -hmm. It's just not, in fact, it's Christianity that destroyed Native American spirituality. If we want to get into when the Brits came here and stole the land, I don't want to get into it. They couldn't really necessarily be further apart in ideals or in rituals, really. I mean, we all worship something, I think, or in every major spiritual philosophy worships something, right? But still, I think they're kind of a little at war. So it's interesting that she holds both and they're both so important to her. Yeah, and I mean, on some level, I identify with that when you're kind of trying to move these puzzle pieces around, when you have something that is an essential part of your identity, I guess, that is part of your cultural upbringing, part of your family's identity, that will always mean something to you. But as you grow up, I guess, you're trying to look at it and say, okay, what does this mean to me now? And how do I integrate this into my life in a sophisticated way, but still maintain all of that? I don't know. It's complicated, but it seems like Tori's mom managed to balance that really? somehow. Yeah. I agree. And yeah. I think Tori absolutely has and does too. 
A little bit more about her grandfather. This is from the Chicago Sun-Times, September 24th, 1998. Tori says, Papa believed that there's no greater evil than hypocrisy. He taught, walk your talk or you cut yourself off from the true gifts of the great spirit. When I was a little girl, he said to me, you can't hide from the demon in your own heart. It always knows and you have to make peace with it. That's how I live my life. Mm. I absolutely think that's how she lives her life. That's what this whole album is about, right? You cannot hide from your own darkness. Got to make peace with it. Mm. And what a great lesson. If there's ever been anyone in my life who's taught me a valuable lesson, one valuable lesson, it's Tori Amos teaching me that lesson as well. You've got to make peace with who you are. What do you think about that quote? I think this is so essential to who Tori is as an artist and to... I don't know, essential to what it means to the human experience if you're invested in it, which is, you know, you have to be aware of how you feel. When you deny any aspect of yourself, um, it's going to assert yourself somehow, negatively, probably, if you're not acknowledging it. And I think that is what Tori has always been about, which is just honesty, pure and simple. Was that something you learned through Tori for yourself? Or do you think you would have learned it some other way? It's hard for me to say. I'm sure if it wasn't Tori, I've I've had, you know, I wouldn't say many, but I've had several teachers in my life and hopefully will continue to have more. But I feel like, yes, Tori has been essential for me in the sense that she taught me to ask questions and to acknowledge how I felt from a very, very young age. You know, when I first heard her music, I wasn't relating to it in a way that made sense from the level of experience that I had, but emotionally, I understood it on some level. Therefore, it sort of prepared me kind of ahead of time for when, I don't know, it's strange, for when, like I had a vessel, for when I had parallels to those experiences in my own life, I sort of I don't know, had a language mm -hmm. to think about it or talk about it, yeah. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to what you said earlier, too, because you said a good storyteller, it starts with listening. And if you can't listen, you can't be a good storyteller. I think that's true. There's a quote. Do you want to read this quote? where Tori talks about storytelling. Spin oh. asks her in October of 1994, they asked her, do you ever go over the top craving attention from the audience? Oh, that's Which an is interesting a good question, question, right? Yeah, it is. Do you ever go over the top craving attention from mm. the audience? And she says... After a long pause, it says, a good storyteller has a conversation with the listener. I'm very direct when I play. A lot of people don't like emotional directness. They say, why don't you just turn away and sing it and we'll digest it in our own way. But... You came to my show to trust me. When I sat down on the porch and listened to my grandfather, I wasn't giving him a fax first on how he should tell the story. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think there were fax machines, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Oh, there were. She's very, I mean, we know she's very direct with the audience, and that's her way of telling her story. In your face, looking at the audience. I don't know what it would be like. Can you imagine the entire Tori Amos experience if... Tori Amos turned and faced her piano and that's how she played. Could you imagine? I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that she turns and faces us as being a real reason why we are so connected to her. I think that has a lot to do with it. I agree. And it's something else that I don't really question because her style of performing has been with us for so long. But now I feel like when I see someone else playing the piano and they're just sitting very prim and proper, kind of facing forward, even if they're singing, I'm like, oh, well, this isn't really doing is, anything for boring. me because they're kind of in their own, <laughs> not boring, but they're in their own world, right? right. Not really connecting. What about us? And like maybe they, the they might cast a sideways glance at some point, but it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. We've said this before. Tori, in my opinion, managed to kind of reinvent the piano for pop music, not only how it was used, but her performance style. No one had ever done that before. Yeah, because if you look at the old piano players that were probably the greatest piano players of pop before Tori, you have Laura Nairo, Carly Simon... And they very much sat facing the piano. They didn't. It wasn't the era either, though, to throw your leg open over the bench if you're talking about 70s piano goddesses, you know? That's something else I would love to ask her at some point. When do you think that evolved? Because we have old... I, you know the answer? I think I do. I remember her... I remember a quote where she said in piano bar, she decided to turn and face them because they weren't listening and they would spill mm. their drinks on her piano. And then she's like, no, if I'm going to play, you're going to listen. Can you imagine? Even in her earliest bootlegs too, even in the 1991 show, she's like, did you come to listen to music or did you come to talk? Because, and it's her, this is before Little Earthquakes has right. even been released. So she was in command of that audience mm-hmm. from the from a long time before that. So yeah. I believe that she's 14 in the piano bar. Like, hey, I'm doing something up here. You think she was 14 playing no, the piano bar with her early. legs splayed out behind her? And... <laughs> with Edison there? No. <laughs> but once he left, once he stopped chaperoning yeah. her and she would drive herself, yes. Mm. I do think. 17-year-old Tori, I can absolutely see her. You don't think that that necessarily evolved with the Little Earthquakes album, Mm-mm. let's say. Mm-mm. You think she had that? That was her style beforehand. I think that at least... When she was playing the Marriott and she was talking about her skirts were getting shorter and shorter. Oh, yeah. I think at least by then okay. she was turning to face the crowd. Absolutely. Fair enough. And I think if you go back to our Nothing Like a Man episode, when we talked to the Corey Lombardelli, he mentioned going to see her at the Marriott. And he said something about her performance there, like how he was riveted. And yeah. I've ne- I mean, I've never seen a performer play at a piano, facing the piano and called it riveting. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just my two cents. I wasn't there, although I have searched desperately for the booking manager of the Marriott. Still for, might happen. Uh, it still might happen. We're still trying to get that person, whoever he or she may be. Let's play another quote, shall we? Okay. This is from an interview that Tori did with Anna Vogue in 1999. What is the most important thing that you've learned in life so far that you like apply to your life? They're like, oh man, I'm glad to learn that. That's a skill that, that I use every day and just helped you just through life. I think the phrase that comes to mind the most now is my grandfather used to tell me this. He was part Cherokee and he would say to me, you cannot separate yourself from your creations. Yeah, I totally understand that. It took me a while to let that become a part of my, I don't know, um, waking kind of um, grandfather voice phrases, because they're always those that all of us have. But as I've, I think, worked with music long enough and made enough mistakes and realized done things that I've regretted doing. Whatever I've done or haven't done, I can't separate myself when I do it. Even if you want to go back and make amends, it still becomes a part of your tapestry. I see elements of this even in how she never really denied YKTR. Always in the beginning, she would say she would say that this was the best thing that happened to her was that record being a flop. You know, she never separated herself from the choices that she made. She never said I was manipulated. I had no choice in the matter. She said I allowed myself to listen to people that. She's always 
stood behind her work. That's what Strange Little Girls is about. Eminem, you gotta stand behind your creations. Mm -hmm. Words have power. I don't want to say that Tori's not standing behind some of her work, but it's interesting to me that at this point, I would say she seems to have demonstrated more of an appreciation for or connection to YKTR than Boys for Pele even i think recently she's been playing more songs oh you mean lately yeah oh yeah from that album and again i don't think she's trying well i do think she's trying to distance herself from that era but not in the same way that she previously had been trying to distance herself from yktr Mm -hmm. i don't know i think you're right in some ways in some ways no because i think that she put out boys for pele the remaster as it appeared in its original form, there was no Tallulah remix in place of Tallulah, the Glitter Girl version. You know, it was honored the way it had originally been released. In that way, I think she honors it as a very important part of her growth or her career, right? I think it was also a very painful time. It was a really painful time for her putting that record together. Those songs are unlike any other songs in her catalog. They're very gut-wrenching. So I would probably... Once you're healed and once you're happy, I think you probably do want to separate yourself from singing the painful songs all the time. That's my thought on maybe why she doesn't include some stuff like that on Tales of Librarian, Gold Dust, things like that. I agree, but I've also gotten the impression that she's somehow embarrassed by the level of emotional vulnerability and transparency that she brought to that whole era. And that's a shame in my opinion. I hear what you're saying. I'm trying to think of it as if I had made this record and like if this were my blood and guts forever preserved, I might be a little embarrassed too. (laughs) I mean, it's raw. It's raw. It's naked. It's naked. But that's what we all responded to though. So I get it. Yeah, absolutely. But there's nothing... There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be... Absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about. Of course. Yeah, I I guess I get that she would have a hard time revisiting that place. You know, you're wild when you're in your 20s or your 30s. And when you turn 40 and 50, you look back and you're like, oh my God. I suppose. Again, I have a hard time with that because Tori's version of wild at that point, (laughs) as it was presented to us, seems so... Well, harpsichord. Well, I know, so sophisticated. Like, oh, you don't even know. Right. (laughs) Thrash harpsichord. Right. Double manual keyboard. I know. You're not even ready for this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hear what you're saying, though. And it's a shame that sometimes it does seem like she maybe won't include certain songs from Boys for Pele and certain other greatest hits work or whatever. But it also makes sense in terms of YKTR, I guess. Like, of course, it's way more fun to revisit those songs and have a totally different perspective Mm -hmm. on them now. You can't make these songs fun. You can't take these songs to a party. Right. Opening a party with Blood Roses. Let's do that (laughs) at karaoke, David. You want to do that? Um, I'm willing. I know you are. (laughs) That interview with Anna Vug, by the way, um, I think it was recently uncovered again. It was an old interview that we all loved. Mm -hmm. So if you have occasion... It'll be on our uh, show notes page, songsoftoriamus.com, for this episode. You should go back to that interview and rediscover it, revisit it if you haven't already. This is a quote from the Daily Mail, UK, 18 November 2001. My papa was a haven for me, a lighthouse, a Cherokee. His belief in the spirit world was fluid and warm, not scary in the least. Death, in his view, was part of life. We would die, but our soul would continue, and there was a great spirit that touched everything. 
You would talk to me about having a relationship with the spirit world. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. He taught me that I needed to respect this or I wasn't living life to the full. He was very keen to instill in me a philosophy that was not in conflict with the land. He would say, you need to be very aware of the laws of your ancestors. Then you will be able to walk the land and in both worlds. So that's a little bit about her having that kind of duality or those dueling faith systems in a way. Mm. Thoughts? It's strange because this has been present for me lately, I'll say, in the sense that, you know, I'm at a certain point in my life where it's very clear that my parents are getting older and they're going to pass away at some point. That's not a mystery to anyone. But I'm glad because my parents have always been very, very upfront about that. They've never been in denial about the fact that they or anyone else are going to die. And... um They've had frank conversations with my sister and I about that. And recently they've been like, okay, this is the situation. This is what our finances look like. Like not totally business-like ignoring the emotional impact, but I appreciate that because it's like, listen, we have to talk about this. This is like a natural part of life and we would be foolish to pretend like this is not going to happen. And I so appreciate that because I've seen what it's like for other people who have lost their parents or someone else and they haven't been prepared or haven't had that conversation. And not only does it kind of seemingly come out of left field, but there aren't things in place to walk them through the experience, which is going to be awful. Like no matter what happens, it's going to be terrible. But at least if it's been discussed ahead of time, you can kind of prepare yourself to the best of your ability. So I really appreciate and relate to a conversation like this, which is like, yes, this is a natural part of life. We're all going to pass on at some point and we have to acknowledge that because to pretend like it's not going to happen is absurd. So you think that this conversation between Tori and her papa prepared her to understand the cycle of life in a way? I think so. And, you know, he certainly had a belief system that involved a continuation or, or an I evolution see. of the soul, which is to and say, like, we're all passed. going to die. Yeah. We're all going to go on I as see. far as I'm concerned. And I think that's a sophisticated conversation for mm-hmm. a, a child to mm-hmm. have. We would die, but our soul would continue. And there was a great spirit that touched everything. Mm-hmm. I see. To me, Tori at her core is a spiritual artist. Like, I don't know how else to put it, but she has a deep spiritual belief system that informs her work. And I think because of her relationship with Christianity that she's raised and the way that she's had that dialogue through her music, people have sort of identified her as an atheist or someone who's sort of... Misidentified, yeah. Yeah. I think they have oversimplified her relationship with religion or Christianity specifically to say like, oh, she's an atheist and she wrote this anthem about God, the Christian God and how he's never there for you. But I think her spiritual belief system is very deep and absolutely informs her entire life and her work as an artist. And I think this quote is reminding me of the rain show that we watched not too long ago Mm -hmm. before she performed Marianne. And she was saying, you know, I don't know where people go when they go, but I believe they're somewhere. I don't think she said that part, but I absolutely believe that Tori does not think that you pass away and that's the end. Right. You go to sleep, you're extinguished like a flame. I know she believes that there are souls, some essence of the person out there. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I love that. I believe that too. But that's something that I absolutely relate to. Do you want to read this quote from The Independent? Sure. From 16th of November, 2003. 
Tori says, this is where we go back to my grandfather, who was Cherokee and really believed in developing your instinctive side. People call it their sixth sense or gut feeling, but how do you develop it and trust it? My grandfather and I would take walks together through graveyards, dilapidated buildings, anywhere. He would ask me what I saw, and usually I would describe whatever was right in front of me. And then he would make me ask questions. He would say, well, you're only looking at the surface of this. He taught me how to study people, to listen to what they weren't saying. He really did want me to try and listen. He was my greatest teacher. Here are a few excerpts from Piece by Piece, Tori's 2005 book on the matter, All Matters. My mother's father, my papa, had perfect pitch. He rocked me to sleep ever since the day I was born, singing with a tone that reminds me of sunlight shining through blackstrap molasses. It was a pure velvet tenor voice. Beautiful imagery. I mean, in like philosophical ways, we've been talking about Tori and her papa taking walks together, him teaching her how to see things in a different way, how to ask questions, how to listen. But I think in practical terms, being a child, being a baby, hearing perfect pitch practically had a lot to do with her developing this ear, mechanically speaking of the human ear and the voice. Or do you think that you're born with it? I think it's a little bit of both. I think everything was kind of working in her favor in the best way possible. Um, to sort of set her up for who she was to become and who she was always meant to be. She had this musical gift, for sure. No one could question that. But she also had a few influences in her life who were teaching her how to be a storyteller and how to be a good singer, even technically, maybe. So I think that's all pretty incredible. Papa was born Calvin Clinton Copeland and answered to Cece or Clint as a boy but I only heard most people call him Papa. At the shops in town, at choir where he sang every Sunday and collected pieces for his stories, whether inspired by the organist making eyes at the minister or the manager of the hardware store running off with the pharmacist's wife, Papa wanted to unravel the covert darkness of a small town while we all sat together on the porch snapping beans. Here's a little clue. He seems to have sang in a church choir, right? Yeah. Interesting. You want to read another excerpt from Piece by Piece? I do. Papa would talk about shape-shifting, the practice of shifting the containment of the human condition in order to open it up to other forms of consciousness. We'd take walks every day, and he would communicate the way he saw the world, which was that there was life in all things, that there was a kind of knowing in all things. I'd say to him, songs are chasing me. And he would say, Shug, slow down and let the song stories talk to you. Tell them you've got room around the fire for them and their friends. And you listen to them, Shug. You listen up now, and they'll teach you things that nobody on this earth can begin to think about, even trying to blow in those kinds of trade winds. Songs are chasing me. That's beautiful. Uh, Young Tori Amos, songs are chasing me. I love this conversation about shape-shifting. And this is from 2005, and I'm not sure that she had spoken about it prior to this, using the same language, or that she's spoken about it since. But I feel like when she was talking about the doll posse era and being a container for energy or personality, character, something. This is kind of the language that she was using. So I feel like because she was putting this book together in 2005 around Beekeeper, she was already sort of leaning in to that Mm -hmm. idea and was already kind of going there. And I do believe that she sees herself as a container when every time she walks out on stage. And I think she has some kind of ritual before she walks out as a performer, right? Where she sort of invokes the songs, asks them to take over. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Of course. <laughs> you see some of it, right? In uh, Welcome to Sunny Florida. Mm-hmm. 
you see a little bit of it. Yeah. But I think even prior to that moment, right before she's the stage, I think there's a whole like thing she's probably doing in her dressing room to get in the headspace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I agree. I think she does see herself as a vessel for your experience of the show, for her experience of the show, for the songs to come through. I think she carries, and she takes it very seriously. Obviously, we know this as a performer. She takes it very seriously. And she comes out there always present, always ready to be that vessel. Even in terms of putting the set list together, I think she spends a lot of time just sort of tuning in, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Even if there's no meet and greet that day, I'm always very, very surprised at how informed the set list seems. For the location. Whether or not she's had any sort of reaction with fans or anyone else who've asked for things. But Mm -hmm. yeah, informed by the location, by what's going on in the news cycle or anything else. But it just seems like she's always very, very tapped in and she's able to capture that for sure. Get it. I mean, not to get too far off course, but I absolutely believe that the songs hold that capability, that the songs are a container of sorts. And that's kind of what happens on Never Shut Up. (laughs) I believe that. (laughs) Our sister show? Yeah. Like, not that we are doing anything because I don't think that we are. We just poke our hands into the bag and see what comes out. So I think Tori has her version of that. Not that she's picking songs at random, but <laughs> that she's she sort what of... If she has a, what if she's mad at us that we stole her idea? She well, I mean, she might want to use it next to her to we put should, her set list together. We could like, you might to want to try this. Oh, yeah, we... and just you should absolutely play whatever comes out of the bag. Oh my God. Don't, don't try too hard. Right, right, right. Just pick 17, 18 songs <laughs> and play and them. put them in yeah. any order. There they are. Right. <laughs> that would be an altorical set list mm-hmm. would be amazing. I know. Let's let's present her with the idea. <laughs> I love it. Why not? When, when she sees that bag that Jillian Doty has designed, and she will see it, Jillian. Mm. When she sees that bag that Jillian D- Doty designed, she's gonna flip her lid. She's gonna <laughs> flip her weave. She's gonna <laughs> flip it. We did. I flipped David's weave. I was so <laughs> I was so excited about I that. I flipped bag. it daily. Um, should we get into the line by line of yes. frog on my toe? Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it. For a long time, I thought that the. Poppy in Yes Anastasia was a reference to her grandfather and not the little girl from the Southern All These Years video. Aren't you going to ask her who Papa is? <laughs> I know. Um, God damn it. Papa, I know there's a frog on my toe. This instantly puts us in a place. I can see a little girl walking hand in hand with her grandfather, barefoot somewhere where there's a frog literally a frog Mm -hmm. jumping across her feet yeah or maybe even sitting on that porch with his pipe right where she so often has placed him yeah right yeah (laughs) i'm not quite sure how i know this because i know that there's a quote somewhere but um, it's just part of my knowledge of papa that she would go visit him in the summer times they would walk together i think i think he died when she was nine Um, but until then she would go visit him every summer i don't know how i know that but that's in my head somehow. Maybe I'll call him Jethro. Jethro's a good name for a frog. Good as any other. It rhymes with toe. I think there's a lot of rhyming in the moment here. Let's talk about that. I think yeah. this might be a, one of those stream of conscious moments. Do you think it's a complete improv or? I do. It feels that way to me. Again, maybe she had some ideas or she'd been thinking about him or this story, so to speak, ahead of time. But it feels very in the moment to me, for sure. I agree with that. Maybe I'll grow up to be wise, good as he. 
Is she talking about the frog, as wise as the frog, or as wise as Papa? Because she's talking to Papa. Papa, I know there's a frog on my toe. I've always seen it as, yes, being as wise as the frog, and that's kind of playful and silly, but also, why not? Like, you know, this frog, all the animals really have seen a lot of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Who's to say there's not wisdom in living off the land and being a frog? Yeah, Mm -hmm. Just doing my frog business. Just doing my (laughs) frog duties. Uh Uh-huh. I interpret this not to mean so much that you're coming back, but that you never really leave Mm. and that there's kind of an ongoing dialogue Mm -hmm. happening. That you'll come back after you're long gone and then go back and then come back and then go Mm -hmm. back. That you're always kind of available to me. Right. That's interesting because she follows it up with this line. Papa, I'm sure the worms have eaten you now. I really love that. Me too. Because it's so macabre, but I mean, that's not why I love it, but it's so direct. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like, yes, your body will decay and, you know, things will happen to that vessel, but I don't believe in any way that that was the essence of you. Um, and it kind of reminds me of that childhood song. You know, I don't know if you had it too. The wor- the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. Nothing? Mm-mm. No. Doesn't no. ring a bell? No. The worms play pinochle on your snout? No. no. But it's sort of that weird childhood fascination with death and what's going to happen to our bodies. And we're probably going to be invaded by bugs and worms. And it's gross, but also kind of fascinating. But also, who cares? Because I'm not my body. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because that you're talking about this nursery rhyme or this childhood fascination with your body, because I feel that even though Tori is a 30-some-odd-year-old woman when she's writing this, I still f- hear it in the voice of a child. Just the phrasing of it, Papa, yeah. I'm sure the worms have eaten you now, mm-hmm. feels very childlike and innocent. There's an innocence to it. And Jethro's been on some Frenchies played long ago. So with both of those lines, this idea of death as not being a sad thing, as not being anything that we have to fret about or worry ourselves with, that it's just a cycle. It's part of it's mm-hmm. part of the experience. Yeah. Because if that frog has been on some Frenchie's plate long ago, that frog is long gone. And I feel like that frog is fine with it. Yeah. Like he kind of knew that that was where things were going to end up and that was just the way it was. And so. Papa was fine with it. Yeah. He knew also the cycle of things, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm pretty sure that I listen to every word because I still hear you telling me still. So what's exciting to me about this idea that's happening in this verse is she's saying, even though you're gone, you're still here. I still hear you. You're still speaking to me. I still hear you very clearly in my head. How can you be gone? Your body's gone, but you're not gone. Mm -hmm. And that duality that is, I think, the nucleus of the song or the through line of the song. For sure. And, And certainly relates back to maybe you'll come back after you're long gone because, yeah, the worms have eaten you now, but you're still here telling me this so you are coming back after you're long gone i don't i can't explain how it makes me feel but this is how i want to be in terms of how i like to think about life and death and i hope that when i lose someone very close to me that i'm able to still maintain that idea i hope that i'm still able to honor that it's a part of life Mm -hmm. because that's how i feel now you know yeah i love that and i feel like it's actually kind of a through line throughout what are termed as silly songs yeah all the b-sides yeah yeah um 
they all and you know this isn't technically one of the silly songs not under that umbrella on the album or sorry on the single or whatever but i feel like a lot of them deal with grief and loss and there's kind of a playfulness about them and not in a disrespectful way mm-hmm. but in a way that totally makes sense like we cannot deny that this is what is going to happen to all of us so let's take a look at that but also kind of have not fun with it but let's be playful about it because why be anything else about the truth I right. Guess. This old man, graveyard, mm-hmm. even Hungarian wedding song has a reference to the dead coming back. Right. Right. Amazing yeah. Grace has till the chicken onto mm-hmm. it, you know? Yes. Astute observation, Professor Anderson. <laughs> Slap them boys when they're naughty. Someone should. Make them crawl, make you haughty. Define haughty for us, please. I would say proud and boastful. Pretentious, maybe. Make you strong, little girl. You paint them toes the reddish color. What's interesting here is that he's te- he seems to be teaching her to be a strong woman, mm-hmm. right? To not take any bullshit. <laughs> to put the boys in their place. Yeah, for don't sure. Don't let anyone take advantage of you. But paint your toes the reddish color. Mm-hmm. Like, don't compromise who you are. You be a lady, but still put them in their place. To be a lady isn't to let some man have access or to let some man control things. I like that. Me too. And I feel like there's a little bit of a connection to Toodles Mr. Jim here when she says, teach me just where those boys can climb. There's When they got a spell. Yeah. There's <laughs> the idea of these elders sort of, I don't Men know, giving, teaching, her, yeah. giving her the tea on how you're going to deal with these with these, these boys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're a little bit older, right? Totally. <laughs> exactly. There's definitely overlap here for mm-hmm. sure. I wonder if these were recorded back to back somehow. Maybe. Could have been. Could have been. On the same day, anyway. Ooh. <laughs> and you know one day you're gonna be bigger than a flea. I love that image because in order to be one day bigger than a flea, it implies that Papa calls her the little flea or that she says that she's small as a flea. Or There's something really beautiful there that I love. One day you'll be bigger than a flea, but not today, little girl. Right. <laughs> you know? And that's not too much to hope for. No, right. you're going to be a giant. <laughs> right. You're going to be bigger than a flea. It's yeah. kind of like um, being the fastest slug. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then it also shows just kind of the relationship that they have it evokes a southern charm too it evokes the porch it evokes the the sunshine and the bare feet i think somehow Mm -hmm. you're gonna be bigger than that old poison ivy tree which is true she was bigger than that tree she's bigger than that tree she's bigger than any tree what tree is more famous than tori amos (laughs) name a tree christmas I'm pretty sure that I think you come and visit. I think he's visiting right now. I think that's what she's saying. That he's come to her in this moment yeah, of agreed. the song. Yeah. And talk sometimes kinda like gadget and You know, whatever this comes is out one of comes those, out. Yes, whatever happens, happens. in the moments. Just yeah. get it on tape, we'll deal with it later. <laughs> <laughs> A funny little chance like an Indian bride. Brave. Do you think she's about to say bride, but then changes it to brave at the last minute? No. <laughs> I can very clearly hear the V. So I know she's saying Indian brave. Mm-hmm. Bride. Bride. Again, I think she's saying Indian bride. Extending a one syllable word into, I don't know, <laughs> <Yeah>. oblivion. <laughs> I know. I love it. It's incredible. 
But I like funny little chants like an Indian brave. Mm. Chants being chanting, how a little Indian brave would chant. I am Native American myself, and I wanted to say this earlier. I'm part Native American. <laughs> I can't even say that without thinking of Scarlet's Did I mention lot. I'm Native American? <laughs> I'm part Native American. And, no, but I am. And I don't know if it's that I'm part Native American. My mom is half Native American. I don't know if it's that or if it's just where I come from in New Mexico. But there is this idea of honoring the land isn't something new. There's something about New Mexico that when you grow up there, the sunsets are unreal. You have ne- you'll never in your entire life see a better sunset than in New Mexico, especially northern New Mexico. But even... In Las Cruces, the skies are so clear. There's no better thing. And everybody sits on their porch and watches the sunsets all the time. Growing up, we always did it. Maybe not anymore now that there's the internet and people are different. God, I sound so old. But back in the day, watching the sunset at night over a mountain was not an unusual thing. So there's always been this idea of the desert and, the, and Mother Nature being greater than you, I think that that's something very special about New Mexico. So mm. I wanted to say that earlier, but... We all grew fat when the white men came. Oh, God. Well, now I know why. I can blame them. Finally. Yeah. Finally, we have a reason. <laughs> but one day, girl, you get to learn to make him crawl. Back to the idea that he's teaching her how to handle or how to be a woman, that she's getting this lesson from him on how to be a woman. Mm. I like that from the Pele sessions, there's a song that holds Tori being able to make someone else crawl because I feel like we've been with her crawling this whole time. Yeah. Um, But nothing on the album necessarily holds that, but she can kind of, I don't know, address that here. Like sometimes I can be that lady too. (laughs) And, And it's interesting that she's, it's not even her saying that, that I am making them crawl. Mm. It's one day, girl, you will be that woman. It seems like she's pulling strength yeah, there. Yeah, maybe at this point she doesn't even believe that. Right. Or she hasn't experienced that yet. Yeah. Make them grow tall, but have the grace to be a lady with disgrace. And what do you take of that line? To be a lady with disgrace. I've always sort of read that as, you know, I'm not going to adhere to traditional definitions of what is considered feminine or what of it, what is expected of me. I'm absolutely not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's right on the, on the money. And also coming out of the Pele sessions, as we said, she's maybe not had the best time, but even in the hard times to be a lady through it, even mm-hmm. in those moments where you feel disgraced you're in that room every record executive in town is laughing at you in your skin tight skirt in your snake boots you hold your head up and you walk out as a lady something like that maybe yeah i think i've said this before this tori's work but particularly this album have always seemed to me kind of monstrous in terms of their willingness to address the monster within i guess or the dark the shadow but it's also so feminine in the best way possible and i think a lot of times we hold those things as mutually exclusive like you can't be monstrous Monstrous and and also feminine feminine, and that's everything i ever want in life give me the monstrous feminine all day every day (laughs) i think this is something this record this whole everything is unable to exist without the feminine this is Mm -hmm. a inherently feminine experience that i think we have access to as gay men but we don't have complete access to it because we are not women and that needs to be said as well i think it is 
uniquely feminine. There's a one quote where she says the men like the record, but the women understand the record or mm. something. You know what quote I'm mm-hmm. talking about? It's something that you have to have in you from being a little girl, knowing you're changing when the boys are changing and having that whole thing that we don't have. I think it's a core there. You fry them taters and you make them with ladies. Again, what you said, you know, whatever you do, you do it as a lady, whether it's the traditional role or not. Fry them taters, whatever. And you know that you're my baby. Know that I'll always be with you. Yeah. That is so sweet. Also, I would kill for some french fries right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what the song's about. (laughs) It's just true. Um, That's all. Great. I love this song. I actually never had considered this song before. I said earlier that I had never really connected to it. But like we do, I think we exposed it in a way that I was finally ready to hear it. What's your favorite lyrical moment? This is ridiculous, Eve. I'm having the experience that I always have on the show, which is every time we get to the end of a song, I'm like, this is the best song I ever. Know. I know. I love it's it. Really meaningful. It's really meaningful. Here's the thing. is like it's so uniquely... it's in a pocket where you don't get many songs about her grandfather. Maybe you get lessons that she's learned from him and perspectives, but this is about him. And what a beautiful tribute from someone to someone that you love. Yeah. In answer to your question, I will give you, I'm sure the worms have eaten you now. Yeah. It appeals to the scary stories to tell in the dark side of me, but also the let's not, you know, mince words about what's going to happen to all of us when we die. And it's fine. And we are beyond this. I love that. I love that imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my favorite lyrical moment would have to be make him grow tall, but have the grace to be a lady with disgrace. That turn of phrase, that stream of conscious thing that she does, you know, is I feel like that's how that came out. Her just putting it together as an improv as she's playing. I love it. I love it. What's your favorite vocal moment? I don't know that I can pick just one. Again, this song seems very in the moment, and her vocal performance, I think, really holds a lot of character, which I think is befitting of this song, because I think her papa kind of taught her how to tell a story and to hold character. So He sure did, didn't he? He did. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she got me with this story today. God. I have a question for you, too. Yeah. I was thinking about this earlier. You know, this is her third album. The Boys for Paley album was her third album proper, and we consider this part of that album. And Papa was such an important part of her life, such an influence on her. Why do you think it took her so long to sort of write a song about him or to or to weave him into maybe it didn't this is a b-side you know this is and we had so many b-sides from this album maybe it was just that she was playing around a lot more and recording a lot more of the playing around Mm -hmm. so it ended up getting put to tape Mm -hmm. i'm sure he's probably appeared in other things that we hadn't heard but why did it take so long for it to be part of the catalog right i think maybe she was relying on a lot of the lessons that he taught her really heavily at this point because she had her whole foundation rocked. That was the impetus to write the record, you know? Mm-hmm. But I do think we see a little bit of her grandfather in Home on the Range, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Her retelling of that, maybe a little bit too, and past the mission in some weird way. No? Do you see that a little bit? I do. I definitely think there are threads of him throughout her body of work, certainly up until this point. But I kind of also think that 
Tori herself has said that this was a pivotal point in her life and her work as an artist where she was reassessing her relationship with all of the men in her mm-hmm. life. And I kind of think that maybe that's why it came forward, that she wasn't only looking at the romantic relationships in her life, but every male figure in her life, parental or otherwise. Right, so and, it, it makes sense that she would go back to probably the earliest marker of a safe mm-hmm. man. Yeah. yeah. That makes complete sense. <laughs> My favorite vocal performance, though, I will say, is this moment. Like an Indian bride. Let's hear it again. An Indian bride. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. Oh. We've said it many, many times that I love that she was willing to be vulnerable, maybe. I'm not finding the right word because I don't want to say ugly, but some of these vocal choices are not conventional. Experimental. She's right. willing to be... So yeah. to kind of, yeah, the way she draws that out, I don't find it off-putting, but it's not, you know, what it's not one would... not conventional, yeah. Yeah, right. It's singing the emotion rather than yeah. singing and the note. and it's all over the album, mm-hmm. too, and I love that love it um let's listen to yanta's cover while we talk about the music shall we yep you can support yanta by going to patreon.com slash yanta he deserves your support he does the most incredible transcriptions <laughs> of and instrumental versions of tori Amos music that you'll ever ever find so support yanta by going to patreon.com slash yanta let's listen to frog on my toad have you ever typed frog on my toe Every time. Really? Yeah. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I'm serious. <laughs> Me too. Oh, me too. Frog on yeah, my toe. I know. Just happens. Horrible. I know. It's horrifying. It's like, <laughs> I know how to spell frog, but like something about my fingers. I know. frog. <laughs> you have webbed hands. I'm going to Google search frog on my toe. Frong. Let's see how many times it's <laughs> out there. Okay. Here's Yanta. It's not often that you get a musical intro like this anymore. grateful that we have Yanta's transcriptions of these songs, particularly when we can sort of tease apart the studio performance from the vocal performance. And it's crazy to me how Tori is able to accompany herself, um, even in a moment like this, which seems improvised. And the piano is not following the melody of the vocal, right? Right. Providing such a a rich foundation, though, by not following that melody line, it's 
these whole notes or these strong notes remind me of the foundation that he set for her. A strong, build it on a strong foundation, Papa. continuously amazed by how beautiful her compositions are and this is you know a simple song that's just piano and vocal but hearing the vocals stripped out and just featuring the piano it's clear to me again how beautiful her playing always is incredible important to note that Yanta notes on the music molto ritardando, which is reinforced sometimes like a sudden crescendo, but often applied to a single note, resoluto, resolutely, just like a bam. <laughs> That's, I think, something that can be said about her entire career, <laughs> like a sudden note, a sudden crescendo. Agreed. And for some reason that brought to mind the official transcriptions of Under the Pink mm-hmm. from the songbook. Mm-hmm pretty good year it specifically says flowing mm. or flowingly mm, flowingly and it's true yeah, yeah i feel like that's her flow. style <laughs> that's how one could describe it no matter what the song right yeah <laughs> flowingly mm-hmm. flowingly molto retardando beautiful i we're so lucky to have yanta yanta you're killer keep doing what you do i think he's done doing what he does he's done all the songs i think right now he's going on to the I live version he's done all of them but if I can share this with you, I secretly um, prefer some of Yanta's versions to some of the actual <laughs> studio recordings. Was, really? Yeah, yes. The best Yanta... I can keep doing this voice too. Yeah, right. Yeah. I remember opening <laughs> yes. my... The first time I opened my eyes to Yanta, or the first time I really experienced Yanta, was when I found I was looking for a new age instrumental because I just wanted to sing. I just wanted to belt, you know? Sick little fox. I just wanted to sing. So I found it and I was like, God, this is so good. And that's when I was like, who did this? Yanta. This was years ago, obviously. I know. Yeah. I have an ongoing love affair with his uh, version of Space Dog. Yeah, it's beautiful. And Father Lucifer. I know. His, a, his Lucifer is really incredible. Song, yeah. Oh, Yanta. Get it, Yanta. Go support Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta. Um, and just, we did look up Frong on my toe. There's one Google hit for it on someone's old bootleg website. <laughs> Frong on my toe, so we're not alone, David. Well, now I'm pretty sure. This is by Sparks a Hazard. We found it on YouTube and we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoryamus.com. Kind of like a funny little chance, like an Indian brave. He said, We all grew fat. Ladies' hands, I know. 
Baby. Here's a cover by a dear friend and supporter of the show, Lindsay Nettleton. Beautiful singing voice with guest appearance by her dogs at the end. to the live section david it's the best i can't believe we're here what a journey we've been on i know i'm pretty sure the worms have eaten us now me too tori amos has performed frong on my toe a total of 44 times how many people how many times have other people performed it <laughs> more we should we should dig into those stats we should those sweet sweet stats frog on my toe cut live covers yeah yeah i agree tori performed this in 1996, a total of 28 times. Congratulations. Yeah. The first time she performed it was May 6th, 1996 in Montreal, Canada. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Well, we have it. So here you go. Oh, Roll it, God. Oliver. <laughs> Are you serious? Okay. Okay. While he's tuning, I don't re- I've only played it like that one time. So let me see. I'll try. Let me think. Do you know what he Let's try that. Papua, I know there's a frog on my toe. Maybe I'll call him Jethro. Maybe I'll grow up to be quite as big as he. And maybe you'll come back after you're long gone. 
First, I love how deadly serious that audience member is. Are you serious? Yes, I am. Deadly serious. Deadly Give me that serious frog. lady. And then confirmation that it was done that one time. Hmm? I love how she's so giving to the audience, how she can just turn it on. Like, she only did it that one time, but it's still there. Obviously, she mastered it or whatever, you know, she's was in the studio with it for at least a little while if it appeared on something. And probably pretty recently, because this was in May, this was May 6th, 1996, and Tallulah had just come out, the single. So she'd been working on it, mixing it or whatever, I'm sure. She remembers the lyrics, but not all of them. This is a unique performance compared to the studio version, for Mm -hmm. sure. You know, she played it 28 times on this tour, and I firmly believe that if that person had not requested it, it never would have been played. And this is one of those moments where she was like, oh yeah, I, I did that. that. That was a thing. And <laughs> because, then came, the second, yeah. because the second time she did it was also in Canada about two or three weeks later, May 28th, 1996 in Toronto. We don't have a recording for that, but... You think she had a frog on her Toronto? Toronto. Toronto. No. Ooh, interesting, probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've uncovered it. Um, the next time she would perform it would be in Cincinnati, Ohio on June 3rd, 1996. We do not have a recording for that. Then she did it in Chicago on June 7th, 1996 as well. Here's an interesting one. Would you like to hear this interesting one? Tell me why. Here's something that Lisa Ridlon, our dear friend, Lisa Ridlon, uncovered. This is June 15th, 1996 from Dallas, Texas at the Bronco Bowl. She does a little improv before. Here we go. Maybe 
interesting. Tori loved those sweet, sweet margs back in the day. <laughs> Who doesn't she just like couldn't wait s- to get off stage. <laughs> Who doesn't Someone like a standing sweet, sweet there marg. with a marg in their hand? Like, as soon as you're done with Hey Jupiter, lady, you got right. it. And she's like, oh, slam it. By 2007, she's like, I'm not waiting till I get off stage anymore. I'm just going to bring them out with bring Santa. It with me. Sure. Now, this isn't the first time that Tori would talk about this song and, and reference margaritas or having had too many margaritas when she wrote it. This is a few days before that. This is the 11th of June, 1996 in Ames, Ohio. So I had um, probably one too many margaritas when this thing started to get written. I love you too. And um, this song doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, I actually love this little song, so... Here's a performance from July 2nd, 1996 in Phoenix, Arizona at the Symphony Hall. An amazing show. Here's... <laughs> Why wasn't I there? So stupid. This is July 20th in Eugene, where Tori again references margaritas before Frog on My Toe. And another margarita story before the Cedar Rapids performance, July 26, 1996. Some of you know this as a fact. Um, I really like margaritas now. There's a time and a place for them. I'm aware of that. She's not coming up yet, but maybe she'll come later. Oh, my God. 
I think she always is when yeah. she performs. Yeah. Here's another one. This is from Vienna, Virginia, August 16th, 1996. It's a really good show. So uh, find the bootleg, people. Give us the bootleg, Tori. Give us the bootleg, Tori. Okay. This is the last time she would perform it in 1996 in Oklahoma on October 30th with a really great story beforehand.
Before we move into 98, I want to read this thing that I found on the dent. So it says here, on June 25th, at the San Diego performance, which I do not have a recording of, Tori had a confession to make. Right before she sang Frog on My Toe, she told the story of how she wrote the song after drinking margaritas and finding a piano, and then she played a few bars, laughed and stopped and said, no, 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 that's not how the song goes. Laughing even harder, she said that the story about the margaritas was a lie. She said, quote, this whole tour I have been telling people this story and it's not true. I made it up. I just thought I would tell you all the truth. I don't know why. Then she did an endearing little shoulder shrug, threw her hands in the air, and continued playing. So there is a copy out there of that, but I can't find it right at this moment. But I just thought how interesting that she would tell the margarita lie and then confess to the entirety of the San Diego audience that uh, she'd been making this story up and then continue the lie. So it was 96. It was a crazy time. Ow! Stop I it. told you, David. Ow. Get your ah. David, get your hand out of there. <laughs> 1998 plug. She performed it four times for it being such a unknown B side. Yeah. And there were only two slots, usually sometimes three, where she would do a solo song. Give me the dates. Give me those sweet, sweet dates. Those, you, want sweet, sweet, you, want yeah. the, you want the sweet, Slip sweet, you want the sweet, sweet dates. Here we go. August 14th, 1998, Birmingham. My papa was my favorite person of all time, and he. Died when I was nine and a half. Nope. Well, that is not from my papa. Duh. <laughs> but anyway, I'm doing this song for him. So, um, he died a long time ago, but he used to tell me things that, um, I never forgot. And if you ever get to be grandparents, I think uh, sometimes you affect somebody more than you ever know. And he used to tell me stuff that I hear in my head all the time. I hear him constantly. And he would laugh. I mean, he would be tickled to death when he would see these people that would go to church on Sunday and then they were like horrible to their employees during the week. Or um, like today. He would be, he would be, I, he would just sit here and wing in his pants. You know all those people that wear those ridiculous red little strings around their wrists? And um, I'm sorry, but... You know, the strangest thing, obviously you run into certain people backstage at the Grammys, right? And you have to sit there and scratch your ass and wonder. You know, it's like this cocktail spirituality, how um, they go to the right guru and the right shaman, and then they totally urinate on you as you're passing through the door. And you go, you know, I don't know how they think they're getting over on everybody, but, um, Papa, I know, sits there and uh, pees on their heads. I know. October 9th, 1998, Little Rock. Maybe 
October 29th, 1998, Ooh, Evanston. Very close together, right? Mm-hmm. November 15th, Amherst, Massachusetts. She performed at one of my favorite shows in 1999, the Wallingford, Connecticut show for Amy Kane oh. that she talked about on the show. Um, here's that. Slapping boys when they're naughty Make you a strong and make you harder You go grow up now, little girl And pay them toes the reddest Interesting set list all around, I think, for that show. That's the show, the famous Jingle Bell Jam, you know, where she did. She opened with Smells Like Teen Spirit, did Little Drummer Boy, Landslide, Mary, Frog on My Toe, Concertina Honey, Spring Haze, all these wonderful songs. Very strange. I love it. And close with Juarez. Mm. Beating the piano. Yeah. Mm. No angel came. But an angel was there. Strange. It is very strange, David. So strange. She performed the song four times in 2001. October 3rd, Nashville. Mm-hmm. October 14th, Wallingford, Connecticut. October 25th, Indianapolis. November 12th, Oakland. This song seems to appear no- in November, October, November, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just or coincidentally, no, she just which is on tour. <laughs> I know. But it seems to present itself in the fall in the south. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, that's a good point. I think she's like, oh, yeah, I love this Probably. little song. And then she keeps doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's play one of those. Pick one. Wallingford. Done. Maybe I'll grow up to be... She didn't perform this at all in 2002-2003, which that was a very long tour. So a little tour, like, not that 1998 was a little tour, but there were more solo songs in the set in 2002-2003. In so I know, I can't believe that over the course of the multi- multiple, multiple legs of this tour, <laughs> the beautiful she never legs. played. It's still happening. Yeah. She's still out there, Scarlett. Scarlett! <laughs> Summer of Sin, though, she did perform it once at an amazing show, Austin, Texas, 2005. Mm. Let's roll it, Ollie. 
I don't need to say that that's the show that she did Mad World for me. Oh. I don't need to say that she did Mad World for me on that night. <laughs> I guess <Yeah>. not. <laughs> If there ever was a sound cue of you, I know. <laughs> it would you be feel like you captured my essence. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Ethan, Nove- play Tori. Play Frog on my toe. <laughs> November 9th, 2007, she performed it in Lawrence, Kansas on the American Doll Posse Tour for Amy Kane. And it was recorded live for The Legs and Boots. I'm uncomfortable with all of this, especially the way you said American Doll Posse. Roll it, Ollie. You can purchase that on any iTunes-supported device through iTunes. Please support Tori Amos. And I bet you, if we all, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, when we were 12 or 10 years younger slash poorer, if we all right now went and bought all of the legs and boots, those of us who can afford it, if we did that, I bet we could make a case of getting a live album from 1996 or 98. Let's try it. Yeah, I think we should campaign. What could go wrong? (laughs) We just couldn't maybe not get it. Oh, right. That but, would be terrible. <laughs> but if we were, like, suddenly, ra- like, rabidly devouring... We don't want to give them a reason to not give us the live albums we've been desperately craving. Right, we, but if we're suddenly rabidly devouring all of the legs and boots, maybe she's like, there is a market for my live material. Let's put our efforts into that ladies' room improv in the uh, ladies' <laughs> room. Ladies' room. Ladies' sacred room, boy. Oh, Oliver always knows how to punch a joke. Um, shall we go to Sinful Attraction? Oh my God, I'm already there. It was sinful and it was attractive. This was Perth, Australia on the 21st of November, 2009. Slap them boys when they know it. Make you strong when you hurry. Oh, you grow up a little girl. You paint them toes and red is Papa. 
Here's Milan, Italy on October 7, 2011 on the Night of Hunters tour. She did it twice on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour, David. You want those dates? Lay them on me. Manchester, England, England, mm-hmm. May 11th, and July 17th in Seattle, Washington. Oh. Should we listen to the British version of Frog on My Toe? Sure. I think she has an accent. What if every time she went to England, she did everything in a British accent? Purple <laughs> the worms have eaten you I love that. I love You're it. playing is more full in I this know. version. It's very I would churchy, say. too, yeah. kind of, right? Love it. it. Feels very churchy in some weird way. No British accent or anything. No. Weird. Hmm. Frog. Frog on my toe. Popper, I know. There's a frog on my toe. People Rhea's hate us. Me. People hate Rhea's us over there. <laughs> she performed it one time on the Native Invader tour, no doubt for Emmy Kane, in an amazing show. The show was really great. It was Eugene, Oregon. It was such a great show. It was Hate Crimes. It was Rocky Raccoon. Great meet and greet beforehand. Loved that show. Unfortunately, the tour all year got eaten up by the data chip card. I got hungry. I'm so sorry. To, I remember doing that episode and then it just didn't. It just like didn't. So we had to do a whole other ep- version of that episode. But anyway. I can't wait for next tour when I eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> all the shows. This is November 25th, 2017 in Eugene. song was good but let me tell you about the pizza in eugene <laughs> dairy oh, free i'm listening dairy free pizza dairy free donuts next door dairy to each free other free pizza and then they have this one bar right across from the donut place that is 
a game bar. Like you play games while you drink. So there's like video game consoles. We played Mario Kart. It was really fun. And we played Mario Kart while we were drinking. It was great. Like we played right up until showtime. We're like, my dream. It was great. It's a great bar. Can't wait to go back to Eugene. Love Eugene. David, well, we've done it again. Oh, Eve. Another episode in the can. Mm. We're almost done with this retreat. I know. Can you believe that no, we are I'm almost through the Boys for Pele era? We're getting closer and closer with every breath we take to, to uh, Choir Girl Hotel. Mm. There will be other retreats. There will be other songs, right? I so many so. more. Oh. So many hundreds more. I know. God, <laughs> we're going to be doing this until we're 60, I feel. Each one is like a letting go. Though. Kind of, like, right? Yeah. Yeah, like putting it out there. I get emotional. Me too. Yeah. And like you really kind of figure out what place the song has in your life. Yep. Oh, I can't wait to do them all. We're gonna. We're gonna. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. If you really like what we do and want to hear more from us, you can follow us on all our social media at Songs of Amos. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can go to our website, songsoftoryamos.com. Sign up for our newsletter. We won't spam you. We hardly send out any newsletters. Visit our website, songsoftoryamos.com, to see more and to see all of our supporters. Every supporter gets a page on our website. I'm a little backed up. I have a lot going on on the email that I have to clear out, and I'm very sorry, and I'll get to it. What else do we got, David? I have a quote for you. Tell me. I'm going to read you a quote, Eve. Okay. And maybe this is a well-known quote. I had not heard it until recently. Okay. But it triggered something for me, and I feel like it's something I would have liked to have heard from a parent or elder, grandparent, anyone. And um, we probably all would. So if any of you out there need to hear this, this is going to you. Nothing you become will disappoint me. I have no preconception that I'd like to see you be or do. I have no desire to foresee you, only to discover you. You can't disappoint me. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm sorry that we had Pirates Dance Mix going on under that. Fine. You hear that, Oliver, my son? You hear that? (laughs) I feel that same way. (laughs) Ollie. I think we all deserve to hear that from our parents. I agree. Because I think most parents feel that way, but should say it. Yeah. Because when you are growing up, you don't always feel that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thank you, David, for that. So, for the parents out there, make sure you tell your children that. And for the non-parents out there, you could have hopefully just fast-forwarded through this. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Yes. Um, what's our next episode, David? Alamo? Alamo. Oh, that's Alamo. a good one. Alamo. Alamo. We're still on our retreat. A few more songs left. We're loving it. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
that's all. That's for Papa. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com.